So uh, one thing before we start is this Friday at noon, there is a community Good Friday service. It's at Orchid Press. It, so if you have, you know, Friday off or half day or noon, you want, you want to go to one, you can go to that. Uh, I, I am going to warn you, I, I always feel like I'm the odd man out because Good Friday is a day that, that I think Christians need to understand the depth and depravity of their sin and what it costs Jesus to forgive our sins. And so I, I always try and go in for the kill, okay? I'm always like, you know, and I, I've done one of these before. They have like seven different pastors talk at these with different things. And a lot of them are like, you know, oh, Good Friday, it's so good. And I get up and I'm like, you are horrible. <laughs> you are a sinner in need of salvation. You know, so... I'm always the odd man out. So if, if you want to come, and I can only imagine the people who have only ever seen me there, like, that dude is a total downer, right? So, which kind of goes with today's message, because I am kind of a downer today with today's message. But, uh, yeah, so if you want to, uh, Friday at noon, it's at Orchid Press. You're all welcome to come see how it goes. I'm always interested to see how it goes. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, if you have a smartphone, uh, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live and Uversion. will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes and the questions and all that goes along with today's message, including some announcements. Uh, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. So why don't you stand with me? The reading of God's Word. We'll get started. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be those who wait in patient endurance for the glory you promised to be revealed to your children. That many times we sit in, in a place of of a Saturday, a place between a Friday and a Sunday where we just have in silence and we're waiting and seeking and searching for an answer and yet we don't seem to get one. And today I ask that you to teach us what it means to wait patiently for what you are showing and revealing to us. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so we are in a season of reflection and introspection. We are calling this Elements Lent-like journey of how we allowed God to come in and change our lives. This is where we have been asking Him to take His bright light and shine it deep into the recesses of our hearts and our souls so He stirs up all the things that we try and hide, that He brings it to the light, and so we begin to deal and work through those things. Uh, we started this 10 weeks ago looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation that John and that Jesus has John write these letters to. It's in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And as we did that, we looked at Jesus' rebuke of what these churches were doing, uh, look at the comfort that Jesus gave them, look at who he, uh, Jesus revealed himself to be to these people, and then ultimately we looked at what Jesus called them to in their mission and how they were to live with and on mission for him. Now, that ended a couple weeks ago, and so now what we're doing is we're doing this thing called the triduum. Uh, this, the triduum is a Latin term for three days, and this is the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Jesus' death, and then ultimate resurrection, which is Sunday, that's, that's next week. And as we look through this, we're looking at the hard things that Jesus says in the midst of understanding triduum. Uh, the understanding the Friday and the Saturday and the Sunday. Because, again, it's all in the idea of getting us to understand what God wants to do deep in our hearts and our souls. I've been looking at a way to talk about the triduum for a couple years now. 
Uh, much of what we're talking about today comes out of John Ortberg's book, uh, Who Is This Man? Because he covers Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's also uh, sparked by a talk. I heard a guy named Don Davis give some stuff. Mark Driscoll said a whole bunch of people. Really, uh, nothing in this message is unique to me. So you're welcome. It's good for you today. Uh, today is going to be a, a really serious day. Uh, I may even get choked up in the middle of it. So we'll just see how this goes. Typically, uh, today is what people call Palm Sunday. It's a day when the crowds in Jerusalem celebrated Jesus as the Messiah, as the coming king going into his city to reign. A lot of churches celebrate and have large celebrations on Palm Sunday. And really, I don't know why. Uh, Because Palm Sunday is a time of reflection because it's a day that shows when our agenda and God's agenda clashes, we typically go with our own agenda and we push God out. That's what we should reflect upon on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the beginning of this thing called Passover. It's a holiday of commemorance and remembrance of God's deliverance of Israel from slavery and bondage and death in Egypt. If you've seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, a little bit like that, although Moses was older. If you've seen Exodus, Gods and Kings, not like that at all. Okay? Just, it's like, maybe some of you must have never read the story. God's like a petulant child who's just angry and mean. It's not really kind of happened. Now, God did send a succession of plagues. And every after one of these plagues, you know, Moses is like, set God's people free. Pharaoh's like, no, next plague. Eventually, the last plague is the most devastating. And this is the taking of each firstborn male child that was not in covenant relationship with God. How did you show that your family was in covenant relationship with God? You would take the blood of a lamb and you put it on your doorpost or your door frame, all symbolizing Jesus when you and I trusted him. We are covered with the blood of the lamb because he is our Passover lamb that is slain for us. This is what we have to understand in the whole story. Everything is foreshadowing Jesus and what he would come and what he would do. And so if you had this blood of the lamb covering your home, it demonstrated you were in a relationship with God and your firstborn son was passed over and you were brought into life. It all symbolized that God spared his children from death, led them out of slavery. So during the feast, typically, uh, lambs were chosen on Monday for a Friday sacrifice. And you kind of see this throughout the scriptures, that Jesus kind of set aside on this Monday for this Friday sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, or Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover lamb sacrificed for our sin. And Passover was enormous. There were about a quarter of a million sacrifices that took place at this time for Passovers. The amount of blood that flowed out of the temple is simply staggering, all foreshadowing Christ. You have one sacrifice for about a family of ten. So you have between two to three and a half million people crowding into Jerusalem on these days. It's a large national gathering. Now, through people's social networks, they're coming to see and hear about Jesus. They, they come as they get there and they start saying these things like John 12, 13 says they took palm branches and went out to meet him crying. Psalm 118, Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And this looks great. It's like, oh, everybody's like, oh, look how wonderful, this is great, this is, this is one, and this is why people have Palm Sunday celebrations. But really what they're doing here is they're telling Jesus what to do. That's what they're doing. Save us now. Even the king of Israel, that's the key. They want a king. They think Jesus should come in, declare war on Rome, and take over. What they want is a fight, and they want Jesus to start that fight. They bear these palm branches. Palm branches are for the receiving of a military hero or a king. There's lots of peoples, lots of agendas, and they're happy to welcome Jesus as long as he furthers their agenda. That's what's happening, and it's just like us. 
We are happy to follow Jesus. Oh, I'll follow Jesus to, to the bitter end. As long as he furthers my political or financial or sexual or theological agenda, whatever it is. That's what we kind of looked at last week. The people are shouting. They're singing. They're welcoming. In just a few days, though, because Jesus doesn't do their agenda, they start to shout, shout something else. And what do they shout? Crucify him. Get rid of that guy. We had an agenda. He didn't do it. Let's kill him and move on. And this is how it is for any of us when we come to Jesus with our own agenda. We have to decide whose agenda we are going to honor. And if it is our agenda, we will end up hating him or doubting him or walking away from him and saying, Oh, well, Jesus just didn't work. He didn't give me what I wanted. That is what happens to these people. And they crucify Jesus the following Friday. He is in a tomb on Saturday and he raises on Sunday. And this is why we are going through these Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, one day at a time. Now, Friday, he goes from the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' arrest, you get the trial with the Sanhedrin, he's before Pilate, the crucifixion. Again, everybody has their own agenda throughout all of that. And Jesus chooses, I am going to do the will of my Father. I'm going to give myself for these lost people, and they have no idea what to do, I'm going to give myself for them anyway. What's really interesting is after the fall, Genesis 3.17, God curses the ground. And the ground starts to produce thorns and thistles and all this useful, useless stuff. And when Jesus is crucified, they mock him. They wove a crown of thorns. They place it on his head. On the cross, Jesus wore bits of cursed creation on his person on the cross. It's kind of amazing. You get to Saturday, which is what we're going to talk about today. And Sunday is simply an amazing day. Sunday is a day of celebration and joy. The stone gets rolled away from the tomb. Jesus comes back to life. Nobody sees Sunday coming except for Jesus. Sunday is like death defined. It destroys fear. It inspires hope. John Ortberg writes, Pentecostals still shout about it. Charismatics still dance because of it. Baptists still say amen over it. Presbyterians still study it. And Episcopalians still toast it with sherry. And here's the deal. I mean, if you have problems and if, and if you need hope and you want to know how one day can change your eternal destiny forever, I mean, that's Sunday. Come back next week and we'll talk about that because today's not Sunday. Okay, today is Saturday. And people have a lot of things to say about Friday. I mean, we do services for it. We're going to have two services next Friday night at 7 and 8.30. The 7 o'clock one will have full child care because it is PG-13. Uh, the 8.30 one, bring your kids 13 or over to it because there's probably some things you should have conversations with about, things that are written in the scriptures, and we're going to kind of talk about those things. And then, obviously, people do services and things for Easter. We're going to have four. Got one Saturday night at 6 o'clock because you're all going to come on Sunday and help out with the kids okay so you come to saturday night so you can come and help out with the kids on sunday and then we do the three normal sunday morning services but there's no huge dramatic thing for saturday there just really isn't anything for it because saturday is the day after the event but before that next thing it's like the time between the times like time uh, when you pray for something and the time you wait for an answer from god about that thing it's, it's when a person goes into surgery and you're waiting for them to get out of the operating room. And you wait in the lobby. You're waiting to see what happens. It's the time spent between when you order the thing on Amazon and the time that it shows up at your house. <laughs> How this is your problem? I don't know. You know, it's the, it's the time when you ask somebody, will you marry me? And the time before they give you an answer. Okay, that's, it's, it's that kind of time. And there are not a lot of things are said about Saturday because not, not a lot of people like Saturday. A lot happens on Friday, a lot happens on Sunday, but not Saturday. I mean, really, even in the Bible, outside of this little thing that tells you that guards are posted at the tomb of Jesus, you're almost told nothing about Saturday. 
I mean, the focus of Good Friday is when we focus that our sins got paid for by Jesus dying on the cross. All that separated us from God and each other, taken care of by Jesus at that point. Easter Sunday is our joyous hope of celebration, and it all comes together, and it's this loud, loud celebration. But there is no holiday for Saturday. And if there was, what would you even call it? Quiet day, silence day, los muertos. I mean, what, what do you call it? You know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard a message about Saturday. I've heard one, and I've read a book about Saturday, and that's about it. I mean, even in the early church, there's only one place of one early church father that even talked about it, and we don't even know his name. It's in the Liturgy of the Hours, written 1,600 years ago, translated into English, and I'll just read it to you. It says, something strange is happening. There's a great silence on earth today, a great silence and stillness. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh, and he has raised up all who have ever slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh and hell trembles with fear. Now, that's only part of it. Actually, in the sermon notes and all the communion tables, I actually put the whole thing. And so if you guys, I actually recommend you guys take that, read that either as a family or with your gospel community or with your friends, and just kind of walk through that. Read that and then ask the questions that, that come after it. Uh, today, what I want to do is we want to hit this Saturday. We want to dig deep into what Saturday is, what the perspective of it is, because Saturday matters to us. If you look at the original disciples, you know, what's going on with them? Well, they haven't really slept much when Saturday arrives. I mean, they fell asleep when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. But other than that, they haven't really slept because you've got Thursday, really busy day. Thursday night comes along and you've got Passover, the celebration with wine, the Last Supper, the Garden, Jesus' arrest, his betrayal by Judas, his travel before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, and then Friday, all-day crucifixion. They probably haven't slept at this point for almost two days. And so they're probably saddened. And they're angry when Jesus is crucified on the cross and they finally just fall asleep from exhaustion. And they wake up on Saturday. And what's the city like? The city's quiet finally. You know, because the only thing that happened on Saturday is really that silence. All the mobs that were shouting, crucify him, they got their wish. So it's silent. And if the disciples talk to one another, what do they say? You know, do they want to whisper so they aren't overheard, so someone knows they were followers of this Jesus? They talk about the things that Jesus said. Maybe they talk about their own lives and what they're going to do next, how Jesus takes this bunch of failures and calls them disciples and have them follow him. Maybe they're destitute and afraid and, and really questioning all kinds of things because they thought they were going to change the world. They thought Jesus, as the Messiah, is going to go in and take over and Rome is going to get, be kicked out because they're always asking him, hey, who gets to sit at your right hand? Hey, who gets to call the shots? Hey, who gets to lord it over everybody else? And now Jesus is crucified. He's dead. You know, maybe they whisper in their view that maybe Jesus failed. He's just another in a long line of crucified messiahs. They probably even think of his words while he's hanging on the cross. And Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they hear that. And they probably think they're ask, he's asking God, why did you let me die? Why did you let my mission fail? Rather than understanding that as a comment about how all the world's sin is laid upon him. I mean, after the resurrection, all of their questions get answered. They remember, Jesus says, it is finished. And they go, oh, all this starts to make sense. All that separated us from God, all that sin, all that separated us from each other, all that sin is all taken care of by Jesus at the cross at that moment. But at this point, they don't know that. I mean, do they even feel sorry for Jesus? 
the person who they saw had the closest relationship with God the Father of anybody that they've ever seen dies a humiliating and painful death, full of rejection. That's pretty much a downer, right? Okay. For us, Saturday is the day in your life where it feels like everything is crushed. Everything goes, goes away. The doctor says it's cancer. You have months to live or your spouse says they're leaving. Your child gets hit by a drunk driver or commits suicide and you wake up the next day and you're still alive. But what do you do? Where does your life go from here? You maybe even think about ending it all because you know what's, what's really left. Life moves forward. You just don't know how. John Orberg asks this great question. He says, why is there a Saturday? Why, from the beginning of time, why did God deem a Saturday necessary? If Jesus is going to be crucified and resurrected, why not get on with it? The question is, how does silence further this story? I mean, if, if Jesus is just going to die and then rise, why not after the soldier you know, plunged that spear in his side? And it's like, yeah, he's dead. Why didn't Jesus just go, ta-da? Why didn't he just do that? Why? Because Saturday has great significance. We talk about this a lot at Element, that there's always a reason for what takes, in the, what takes place in the scriptures. You know, so you have these two events, death and resurrection, but it's over three days. 1 Corinthians 15.3, the Apostle Paul recounts one of the earliest phrases in the Christian church, probably just two to three years after the resurrection, could even be a hymn. This is what he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died. Well, how is that good news? He says, for our sins. That's the implication of it, and that's the key, for our sins, not for his sins. For it separated us from God. Not what separated him from God, because he wasn't separated. He says, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. Many writers refer to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus as the third day story. And that story being told over three days. The Old Testament scriptures are full of these stories, just full of them. In Genesis, Joseph's brothers, they get thrown into prison, they're released on the third day. In the book of Joshua, the Israelite spies are hidden by this lady named Rahab when they're in the promised land, and they are safe on the third day day. When Esther hears her people are going to be slaughtered, she goes away to fast and to pray. On the third day, she is received favorably by the king. When Abraham is afraid he's going to have to sacrifice his son Isaac, he travels to this place called Mount Moriah. On the way, he gets there, and when he gets there, on top of the mountain, he looks up to see the sacrifice that will save his son's life, and it is on the third day. In the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, 700 years before Jesus, he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. It's this three-day story. I mean, day one is pain, it is questions, it is unsurety. The third day, all the questions are answered. Hope is understandable. But Saturday is the second day. It's the deep wondering if there's an end in sight. And you look around, it's like nothing but but trouble. Deliverance comes, and it comes from God, but it comes on the third day. God's the one who brings it. We don't make it happen. John Ortberg says this, The problem with third day stories is that you don't know it's a third day story until it's the third day. And a lot of people live their lives on a Friday-Saturday existence, and as far as they know, there is no third day. They don't know what's going to come tomorrow. You know, when, deliverance is supposed to come, but you don't know where it's going to come from. 
I mean, you may, you may start to think that your life is like being a Raiders fan, right? It's like trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. <laughs> but you don't know there's deliverance when you're in the middle of it. Now, I'll give you a personal story, okay? Um, I don't share it very often because it's really hard for me to talk about. Um, I actually cried in both other services. I'm doing my best not to do that to you and make you feel really uncomfortable. Um, I talked about this in the book of Lamentations uh, during we did the Sermon on the Mount. Um, my wife and I, we have tried to have kids for years, Okay. I mean, just years, and, and we haven't really been able to. The, the one time that we knew for sure that she was pregnant, uh, she miscarried, and we lost the baby on Father's Day, okay? Now, my friends have kids, my brother has kids, all you guys have kids, and I love them, and I love you, and all that, but I'd be lying if I said deep inside, I don't have a little bit of pain, because my wife and my whole parenting adventure is lived on Saturday, and so you ask these questions, you know, God, why? And there's silence about it. Is there an answer? Of course there's an answer. I know there's an answer. But the whole parenting adventure for us is, is Saturday. I mean, we went through the whole process of being foster parents, and we never pulled the trigger really because of me and all the, all the pain that I kind of have over all of this. You know, Friday comes when trouble hits and we're like, God, why, you know, you know, what's going on? God, why did my wife finally get pregnant and then we lose the baby? Why? And what's Saturday? Saturday's silence. Where's my answer? What are you doing? That's, that's Saturday. C.S. Lewis writes a book called Surprised by Joy. Uh, he recounts how he became a Christian in this book. It's a great book if, if you want to read it. Uh, nothing to do with this book, but a few years later, he meets, he meets a woman. Uh, he thought he was going to be a bachelor his entire life. He's in his late 50s. Uh, he meets her. They end up getting married. You know what her name was? Joy, right? So his friends used to make fun of him. You really were surprised by Joy, weren't you? It's, it's kind of funny. So in this late 50s, God gives him this great gift, right? So he, he, he gets love, uh, and this is the hard part. Uh, he's, he's so in love with her. But what happens is she gets terminal cancer. And she dies a lingering, painful death. Now, you can see it in the movie Shadowlands. It really doesn't co- you know, cover it as well. As she, but C.S. Lewis, after she dies, he writes another book. It's called A Grief Observed. A Grief Observed. And if you want to read a book from a Saturday perspective, read A Grief Observed. Hey, this is what he writes. When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing God, so happy you're attempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, like things are so great, I don't even think about God. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be your so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so at once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in our time of trouble? Now, those are deep, hard, profound words. And don't think C.S. Lewis ever walked away from God. He didn't. He didn't. He goes on to say this. Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God, the real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about him. And then eventually he says this. I have gradually come to feel, and this is, again, over the course, so this is, he works, walks through a lot of stuff. I have gradually come to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? 
the time when there is nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help may be just the time when God can't give it. You are like the drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs. Perhaps your own reiterated cries deafen you to the voice you hope to hear. Again, this is one of those books you've got to prepare yourself to read through. And so my question is, what's your Saturday? Because we will all hit a Saturday. If you walk for Jesus at any length of time, you hit Saturday. Maybe you have a marriage that's fallen apart. Maybe it's, you have a spouse that's turned away from God or turned away from you. Maybe you've got a child that's lost or running down the wrong path. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and heaven seems silent. Maybe you have a loved one who has terminal cancer and you pray like crazy but only silence. Maybe you meet the person of your dreams but that person of your dreams doesn't think you're the person of their dreams. Or you lose a job or you lose a friend. Friday is the dream the day dies. But what do you do Saturday? Well, it's a three-day story. It's a triduum. So I'm going to give you three things that you can do. Two aren't helpful. One is. Number, first option, okay? First option is depression. Okay? Your first option is that. A lot of people do this. People in the early church did this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some people said, this is all it's ever going to be. There's never going to be a Sunday. It's Saturday. Death is all that there is. This is the end. And a lot of people live there. They just stay there. Some of them secretly. The second option is rejection. You stick your head in the sand. You act like everything's okay. Churches do this a lot. A lot of people in churches do this a lot. They reject the truth of what's staring them right in the face. You put on a happy face. You find simplistic explanations and easy answers. What John Ortberg calls this is he calls it hydroplaning over authentic humanity. It's a great word. I, after first service, I really got choked up. And I had a hard time talking the whole rest of the message. And, and Michelle G., the one who leads the music, she, she comes up and she goes, she goes, it's okay. You know, you, you can let it out. Don't hydroplane over humanity. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you're not helping me. I've got to hold this together somehow in this. Uh, there are people in the early church who did this too. In 2 Timothy 2.18, uh, Paul speaks of a couple people, he says, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. This is like faith teachers today who will say if you're having problems or if you're sick or if your prayers aren't being answered, well, you just don't have enough faith. What it does, it's re- it rejects the truth that there are hard days that God allows us to go through for his own purposes and we may never understand. Third option, and this is the good one. Take this one. It's called waiting. Waiting. And this, I mean, this is really the hardest one. Wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It's hard to wait. We don't like, we're in America. We like microwaves. We don't, we don't like to wait. You know, waiting, waiting has nothing to do with being passive, though. Nothing to do with being passive. You know, waiting, it, it's whatever you do while it's Saturday, you do with him. You walk with him. And even if, you, even if you don't feel like he's walking with you, you still walk with him because he is walking with you. He might even be carrying you, but you walk with him. You rest, you rest with him. You learn from him. You ask questions of him. And when you cannot connect any other way, you complain to him. Two-thirds of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament and complaint. It's a Saturday book. It's just complaint after complaint after complaint. I relate. I can get that. I am sarcastic and I complain a lot. I, I totally relate to the book of Psalms. Most of the songs that we know that come out of the scriptures are songs of complaint. Our songs of lament. It's amazing. 
but it's a people who knew God is consistent and trustworthy when facing everything that they did. Henry Nowen says, we're like trapeze artists. One's the flyer, one's the catcher. Which one's more important? The guy that's got to catch you is the one that's more important. The flyer's doing all the crazy stunts and all these things, but the catcher's the one that keeps people from going splat. I mean, Henry Nowen, he, he writes how this is a picture of faith and Saturday, how these things go together. We're flying, doing all these crazy somersaults and things, but Jesus catches us. He writes this, people think the flyers are the stars because they're doing all these somersaults and Somersaults in the air and it looks cool, but the real star is the catcher. A flyer has to fly, a catcher has to catch. But see, when we're out there on this Saturday and all these crazy things, we don't think that Jesus is capable of catching us. I mean, this is what we think it's like. Here's a picture. We think we're the sumo guy. There's no way Jesus is going to be able to hold us. We might even pull him off that bar in the middle of it. That's how we view it. Because we think everything we go through is bigger than he is. And it's not. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. In Matthew, uh, people keep coming to Jesus, keep saying, give me a sign, give me this, give me this, give me this. It's kind of like what they do on Palm Sunday. You know, do what I want you to do. I've got my own agenda. So how does Jesus respond? Matthew 12, 39 and 40 says, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what is that? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah's a three-day story. But see, Jesus says this before the crucifixion and resurrection, so they don't get it. We get it because we get to look back on it and see what happened, but they didn't get it. The significance is that Jesus understands our pain and the stories that we are in. All of our three-day stories. Jesus went through Friday for us and he went through Saturday for us as well. I mean, this is a gift because we understand the story that we live in is still his story. Even on Saturday, when we feel like he has forgotten the story. It's still his story. See, we live today... And Friday is behind us. The crucifixion has happened. But our own personal resurrection is still in the future. Our Sunday's out there. We kind of live in Saturday. You will face people in your life like Pilate and Judas. You will have situations in your life who are like Pilate and Judas. You will be a Pilate and Judas to other people in your life. Your body is going to fail in many ways. People around you are going to die. And it will feel like you are always in a Saturday. But this is still God's story. It's his story. And we're going to fail to remember that at times, but when we fail, doesn't, Jesus doesn't leave us in our shame. Shame's for another day. It's not for Saturday, and it's certainly not for Sunday. I mean, we see Sunday and resurrection as a miracle, and it is. But so is Saturday. Saturday's a miracle. I mean, so you, you have like the birth of Jesus. We celebrate that at Christmas. You got all of heaven weeping at the cross on Friday. Still a miracle. On Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. It's a miracle. The miracle of Saturday is the eternal Son of God lays dead. He defeats our enemies of Satan, sin, and death, not simply by showing his invincibility over it, but by submitting himself to it on Saturday. And if Jesus can be found in the grave on Saturday, if he willingly goes through the pain and heartache, there's nowhere in your life he can't reach into. Nowhere. So whatever pain, whatever rejection, you know, whatever dream has died, whatever longing has not been fulfilled... 
you know, whatever your failure, whatever your regret, whatever your shame, whatever the disappointment, it's not the end. It's Saturday. And deliverance is still coming. So let me give you my hard Lent questions, because these are the last ones, okay? Here are the Lent questions. Number one, what is or has been your Saturday? What is it? Secondly, what brings about your biggest questions about the goodness of God? Thirdly, do you find it easier to get depressed, to deny, or to wait? Fourthly, when are you most prone to forget that it's a three-day story? And then fifthly, because it always needs to go outward, what is the best way to step into other people's Saturdays and remind them that it's still a three-day story? See, Saturday is hard. It's hard. I don't know why I wanted so long to talk about Saturday when I knew it was going to get me all choked up. But Saturday is hard. But we also must not forget that Sunday for Jesus happened. And resurrection is true. And new life is offered. And nothing is outside of his hands. And even though we many times live our lives stuck in Saturday, it has still been sifted through his hands. And he is still good, even when we can't comprehend or know that goodness. This is why we talk about communion every single week here. You know, communion is when you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us on Friday. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me on Friday. But it also points to the resurrection. But you don't want to pass too quickly over the Saturday in there. That Jesus passes through that Saturday so he understands where we are in our Saturdays. And understand that Saturday can also call us back to mission, to understanding who he calls us to be in the world. The band's going to come up. We're going to move on here. The band's going to come up. There'll be some deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, they'd love to pray with you. Maybe you are living in a Saturday right now. And if, and if you need prayer about that and you want to talk to somebody about that, they would love to talk to you about that. Uh, if you have any prayers for actually anything, they'd love to talk to you about that. Um, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving's part of our worship. It's part of understanding this whole redemption story. We don't pass a plate, it's a response. And there's food in the back. Like we always do, we invite you to grab something to eat. Because God saves us individually, but he does not intend for us to live individually. He intends for us to live in communion with one another. Because when you walk through a Saturday, it is impossible to do it alone. Impossible. So he places believers in our lives. So we can walk alongside one another through the hardness of those Saturdays. What's really interesting, and I thought it was in the Ortberg book, but it wasn't. So I don't know who turned me on to this. But I, I picked up this book by a guy named Alan Lewis. The book is called Between Cross and Resurrection, A Theology of Holy Saturday. He's a professor out of college for years. This book he, he was working on for like a decade. It was his life's work. And it's all about what happens on Easter Saturday. In the middle of writing this book, he himself gets terminal cancer. The book is even published after he died. And so the book became not just about Jesus' Saturday, but about his own personal Saturday as well. Now, at the end of the book, he wraps it up with this prayer. 
It's beautiful. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the end of it. What I would do, want to do to end this morning is I'm just going to read you the ending of his prayer. So why don't you guys close your eyes with me and let's pray his prayer. He says this. Oh, Heavenly Father, hear our prayer for a world still living in Easter Saturday existence. Oppressed and lonely, guilty of godlessness, and convinced of God-forsakenness. Be still tomorrow, the God you are today, and yesterday already were. God with us in the grave, but pulling thus the sting of death, and promising in your final kingdom an even greater glory of abundant grace and life over the magnitude of sin and death. For your blessed burial into which we were baptized, may you be glorified forever and ever. Amen.